Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Print Design Podcast. I am your host, Dave Hopkins. Thanks for stopping by. Now, you all know, if you're listening to this or if you've been around us on Instagram or whatever, you know that I love print and packaging. Huge fan of it. Started in the industry like 18 years ago, and I just love print. The part that I love the most about that is helping graphic designers take their designs from screen and actually put it on paper, create brilliant packaging that lives on the store shelf or create books and things like that that go out and people hang on to for a long time. It's such a rewarding feeling creating those actual printed objects. Now, the best way that I can do this is through Print Design Mastery, which is our core program where we are teaching graphic designers to be experts in print. Now, graphic designer who is listening to this right now, If you are ready to start creating print, putting actual designed printed objects out into the world, go to printdesignacademy.com and just take a look. Just check it out. Obviously, there's no obligation for you to sign up and join us. But if you're interested in learning print and you want that shortcut to avoid some of those headaches and the roadblocks that people run into, into creating print, let us help you. Go to printdesignacademy.com and check out our program, Print Design Mastery. It's only 37 bucks a month and we'll teach you everything you need to know. All right. Now, today's guest on the show, I am excited to bring this to you because I am like born and bred in the offset print world. So if you know anything about print, they're offset, digital, there's Rizzo, there's Flexo, there's, gosh, there's so many different kinds. There's a Gravure, there's, they're all escaping me right now in the moment, but there's a bunch of different kinds of print and I was born and raised in the offset and digital world. But I've always had this massive appreciation for a Rizograph. Rizzo printing, Rizo, Rizzo, I've heard it called a bunch of different things. But it's kind of this really cool hybrid between like screen printing and digital printing kind of. Um, And I've always wanted to learn more. So when this opportunity came up to have this guest on the show to share this award-winning print piece and the story behind it with us, I absolutely took advantage of that. So my guest on the show today is Heather Cranston, who is the graphic designer and owner of Pulp and Paper Creative out of Thunder Bay, Ontario, a fellow Canadian, eh? Today, we are diving into the Roots to Harvest annual report that she put together um, using Rizzo. We talk about layers and how those were built. We talk about the story behind this piece. We talk about why Rizzo printing was such a great fit for this particular print piece and how that all came and worked together. We also talk about some fun stuff. We laugh. We cry. Actually, I don't think we cried in this one. No, but there's definitely laughter. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get right into this great interview and great conversation with Heather Cranston. You ready? Let's hit the intro. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rock their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. Hello, Heather. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? 
I'm doing fantastic. Talking to you all the way from kind of Manitoba, but Thunder Bay, Ontario. That's right. Closer to Manitoba than Southern Ontario, that's for sure. <laughs> My fellow Canadian, well, I'm glad we could line this up and make this work. And we connected um, through Instagram about a month, I want to say like a month ago, month think, and a bit ago. Yeah. And you put together this incredible risograph printed annual report. And I'm very interested in Rizzo and understanding it and learning it more and deeper because my background is like the offset guy, right? So um, I'm excited to get into this. Cool. Me too. So I'm going to start it by kicking it over to you and asking what feels like the toughest question, but I promise you they get harder. Okay. Um, <laughs> tell us about yourself. Uh, my name is Heather. Um, I live in Thunder Bay, as we've already covered. I'm a graphic designer, um, bit of an illustrator. I went to school in Manitoba for design and then uh, worked at an agency there for, for a bit of time before moving back home to Thunder Bay again. Um, so when I moved home, I worked for an agency here, uh, kind of like going, climbing the corporate ladder backwards. Mm -hmm. In Winnipeg, I worked on large clients. In Thunder Bay, I worked on kind of the larger corporate clients that were here, but okay. really wanted to, to just spend my time doing like the little mm -hmm. designy jobs, like the little nitpicky designy things and packaging and things that don't come with big corporate clients. Mm -hmm. Um, so as I kind of transitioned away while having children and all of that stuff from the agency I was working at here, I started doing more and more freelance for, uh, not for profit. Um, and we kind of got to a point where there was enough going on there and a couple other really big things happening there that I, mm -hmm. I jumped that way, um, so that I could kind of spend my time working on design communications things with Roots to Harvest, which is now mm -hmm. Roots Community Food Center, and then also um, Pulp and Paper kind of began at the same time. That's cool. So why do you think you you prefer that direction versus like the corporate direction? I mean, I have my own opinions about it, but like what do you think draws you to be more attracted to one than the other? I think um, it comes down to the fact that those little designy jobs are the ones that have all of the the not printed pieces like rat cards and whatever else, but the printed tangible pieces, like the pieces that mm -hmm. you want to hold on to and the pieces that are meant to feel special or that you can't throw away. Um, and it's where all of the, the little details and the little things that kind of make the whole thing sing come versus corporate campaigns, which was just, yeah. it's a thing, but it's like less my thing. For sure. And it, what I think that almost like feels like it speaks to or what I pull from that is in the print industry right now, when you're doing print, the, the, corp, the big company who's printing 10,000 catalogs of all of their products and sending it out to everybody in their database, that isn't happening as much. But what you have is these smaller and medium sized brands doing these really thought out um, sort of bespoke print pieces, experience pieces. And that's where a lot of print um, is coming from these days, not these giant corporate runs of stuff. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm working on a little piece right now for a client called Canada West Maple. And they wanted to do, it started out as a, a sell sheet. But like, mm. but how do we make it not a sell sheet? So we've kind of evolved to this little like five and a half, eight and a half booklet that's like yeah. made of a few different colored stocks of paper with like white ink printed. And then there's like a postcard stuck in the middle with the stock list on it. 
but it becomes the thing that like gives you the a bit of the experience of the brand not just mm -hmm. like a we ran off some things from the xerox and stuck it in an envelope for sure and is this one being rizzo printed too uh no no this one will have to be offset i think yeah <laughs> that's all good i know <laughs> awesome hey offsets my jam it's all good um, so Heather, what is your earliest memory of print or packaging? Maybe it's something from your childhood, from your teens, from Christmas morning when you were seven. What is that? Yeah, I have lots of like early memories that I can recall now that kind of like, like my path was paved to like, this is my career. Like there was no other thing that it could have possibly been. Mm. Um, at some point, like we always, we play, I had siblings and cousins and all of that stuff and we played school and I was in a bank with one of my parents and grabbed forms, like from the thing where you had to fill out your book before you like approach the teller and whatever else. Yep. And I took the forms home and copied them like line by line, all the little boxes. I made check boxes. I don't know if I used their type or like wrote new words or whatever, but I had kind of reproduced all of these bank forms so that we could use them to play school with but like creating the form and like replicating the check boxes was like mm. way more like interesting to me than actually than going and playing with the forms um that, that's like taking that creative play like to another level and actually you know starting your design career totally but i, I don't even know that i got to the play point it was all about just the making the form um, and I also remember sitting probably when I was seven or eight years old, like at the breakfast table with a box of Captain Crunch in front of me and looking at the color bars and like the mm -hmm. registration marks and whatever else and, and piecing together that the extra Pantone colors that were at the end, I could, I could pick out in the image and mm -hmm. not quite sure what the CMYK boxes were for, but like, I knew that they were there for a reason and that like I was onto something. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling like so smart that I had kind of solved this little mystery. And like, it was a little <laughs> secret that I knew that like other people my age didn't know. Um, but it, I always had an interest in it always. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you start seeing things like that on packaging, you, you start seeing stuff like that everywhere. You know, whenever you're opening a box or like a little foil wrapper or something like that, you can start seeing color bars and like little bits of print details and you're, you know, you can, if you have any uh, familiarity with, you know, how packaging is made and produced, you start to recognize what those mean and what they're for and things like that. Um, but more importantly, was this Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries or without? Uh, definitely without. I don't mix fruit and stuff. <laughs> well, Heather, the interview just took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> Let's agree to disagree. All right. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about pineapple oh, on pizza good. later. Oh gosh. Okay. Are you a fan? <laughs> yes. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. Yeah, no, we're yeah, back yeah. on. We're back. So I guess on I do miss mixed fruit and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not so what about fruit, re recently then? Have you had any uh, recent interactions with print or packaging that really stood out to you or that you found memorable? Um. Yeah. I think like always. I like. I, as I come across stuff, I'm always drawn to like the, the tactile things with the, with the heavy textured paper and all of mm -hmm. that stuff. We went, um, Thunder Bay is maybe about an hour from the U.S. border. So there's a little mm -hmm. town called Grand Marais. We were just there a couple of weeks ago for the first time in like two years. And 
I went into a store and bought three things, all because of the packaging. Um, one of them was a bar of soap that was about 20 US dollars just because of the wrapper that was around the outside it. And, and it's like, not my thing, but, and I hemmed and hawed over it and I bought it anyway, because I couldn't, I couldn't do away with the packaging. The other thing that I bought, it was this box of cards and the box is one of those things that's like, you can't throw away the packaging. I don't know if you can see any of this, but they're. The cards are, they're Mowgli, but they're like hand painted on giant sheets and then trimmed and foil stamped. So you can feel the, like you can feel the paint, which is another big thing. I think for me is like, if the ink, if you, if the ink is raised, if, if you have a lino cut and you can feel the texture of the ink Mm -hmm. or anything like that, like that will get me every time. Yeah, that it's just that tactile experience when you're using you know, specialty coatings or u- unique die cuts or textured papers, whatever it is. All of those things play into an experience and a perception, and and you as a designer get to sort of shape what that is. Um, you and I are the same way though. We'll just be hanging out in the grocery store or wherever and and checking out packaging. Oh, where was this made? You know, just kind of analyzing and trying to figure out how it was made and dissecting it. Yeah, that's for sure. The That's another good thing. Like, I'll come back to Canada West again. I designed a label for um, this little flask. Like, it's a little red flask. And mm-hmm. this the sticker could have easily just been a vinyl sticker, and it would have been fine. Like, it would yep. have been, like, a cute thing, and it would have been fine. But I had picked up a bottle of beer that I think was from Dominion City. That might be okay. wrong. Dominion City Brewery. And it had this like soft, um, like velvety paper on it that was foil stamped. And like the paper was, the paper was everything. Um, So combing through their Instagram at some point had tagged their printer. So now the Canada West flasks are printed on the same paper. Like that was from the beer that I was drinking as I designed it. And like it, it definitely takes it to that next level that makes it something as opposed to just like a sticker. Totally. And one of the examples I love to give that illustrates exactly what you just said is I think we've all been to those networking events um, where, you know, you're, you have like a little coffee and then you're going around and you're shaking hands and you're meeting people and, you know, your business card exchanging, that sort of thing. And then when somebody hands you a business card that you're like, oh, this is like really flimsy paper and it's like not trimmed great. And you're like, okay, yeah, thanks. And then you meet the person who's got like that double thick letterpress printed business card that's got the foil stamp on it or something. And you hold that and you spend more time looking at the card and feeling the card. And then you kind of have to go, sorry, what were you saying? Yeah. You know, yeah. That's what I would do. <laughs> creates an incredible perception. Um, you know, where, what do you want a consumer, a, a potential partner, a potential customer to think about your business, your products, things like that, that, tactile feel how does it feel how thick is that paper all of that stuff ties into that totally I couldn't agree more with that we did a a thing for Roots to Harvest not long ago where we were kind of thanking monthly donors Um, and it was just going to be like a fancy postcard or something that was like you're in the club and maybe some people would hold on to it and maybe some people wouldn't Um, And there was a bit of a budget. So rather than spending that money on like letterpress or something, which maybe some of these people wouldn't care about, we um, designed a a wooden motel key tag. And 
used like some variable data printing to like sync up the number with the name. So it would be like, Dave, thank you for being a monthly donor. Here is your motel key tag. You are number 127. And then you got number 127. So when you peeled it off, that was your number. And they all had a unique number. And at first we were kind of like, are we actually like thanking the big corporate and monthly donors with a keychain? Like that sounds horrible. But once, <laughs> once we actually produced these cool, like etched wooden motel tags, mm-hmm. it, it became like the thing. Yeah, it's just a unique experience that a lot of people aren't used to getting. You know, when people think of the mail that they get, it's bills and it's like fast food flyers, which is printed and perforated if you're lucky and just like just leaves so much to be desired. So when you can stand out, you know, with something unique like that, instantly is a much higher level experience. Totally. So Heather, I want to kick this back in time a little bit here. And I want to hear about the very first project that you were a part of bringing to life in print, the very first one you produced. Okay, so the very first thing that like left a mark or that is like notable in my mind, I was in school, like design school, and mm-hmm. had two placements. Um, and the first one was at a place called Traffic. And a beer festival had happened before I started uh, there was some communication and ads and stuff that happened while I was there that I was no part of, and then it wrapped up. And somebody asked me to resize and move a couple logos around in, it was probably a quarter page ad for the Winnipeg okay. Free Press. Okay. And someone with an earshot said, don't screw it up. That's worth thousands of dollars <laughs> <laughs> of this full color quarter page ad. Confidence so, aspiring. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, like not even out of school yet. So I <laughs> made the changes, like triple checked them, someone else checked them, and I mm-hmm. exported it so painstakingly, like read things that I would never read, like probably have never looked at again, yeah. and exported it and re-exported it and opened the exported file and printed the exported file, like things that I've probably never done since, and sent it off. And I think that was on a Friday. And on Saturday morning, I got out of bed like it was Christmas morning, like full of like anxious energy and excitement and terror that like something went wrong and flipped through the Winnipeg Free Press and like flip, flip, flipped and it wasn't there. And I was like, like filled with dread. Like I screwed it up. It didn't get there. They couldn't print it, all the things. And then it was just in Sunday's paper. So it was in Sunday's paper and it was fine, but it was the first like that stomach drop feeling of like mm-hmm. cross your fingers and hope for the best. Yeah. Print can, print can do that. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I, I did share a photo of that ad with you. I still have the ad and I will keep it forever. Fantastic. So the first piece was an ad that actually went out on Sunday. It sure did. Yeah. Not Saturday. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you were, I thought you were going in this direction with the story, but you pulled it, you pulled it, you you turned it around here. Um, so the next one, then I got to ask, have you ever been a part of a print project that did not turn out as you had hoped? Didn't go well, went sideways. Um, can you tell us about that project? Yeah. Um, so I have one of those as well and it went sideways, but for a reason that you would never expect. Okay. 
Um, so I was working with a client called Beaver Boutique and they were making a line of uh, like uh, body products, basically. Um, okay. They developed a, a wax, which is actually like a sugar. So like okay. if you've ever waxed your legs or anything like mm -hmm. that, don't know if you have. Um, no, no, I haven't had a question. <laughs> okay, well, I would try this product if you were going to. Uh, so it's made with maple sugar and okay. a bunch of organic products, and it's, it's great. It works really How well. very Canadian. It is, yes. So you can use it um, anywhere you please, but it is called Beaver Sugar. Mm -hmm. And they were pretty hyped up about it. We had finished the logo. We were working on packaging. We did a custom box that had um, like a neon spot color inside and foil on the outside. And the product was like a bit away. And then all of a sudden the product was like ready for the market and needed to go now. So we fast tracked everything. There was a wrap on the inside, an instruction card, an applicator card, a label for the jar. All of this stuff had to kind of like speed right along. So we designed the label, working on all these things at once and faster than we had thought. And everyone was excited about it. And I had developed a relationship with um, an account rep at a printer in Southern Ontario. And I sent her the label and CC'd everyone and said, like, give me some recommendations. Needs to be like somewhat waterproof. And she said, oh, you know, what would be awesome is this like metallic, vinyl metallic material that we have. You can okay. just pick and choose the pieces that you want because I had shared a photo of the finished box that had the spot the um, spot varnish and foil on it. Okay. So she sent me the specs on like how to build the file, knocking out all of the areas that you don't want to be metallic. Mm -hmm. um, so went through that process. The pre-press department passed it through, all good. It got rush shipped. Everything landed on the client's doorstep. And as they were putting the first box together, like I, I'm sure you know, you can't put metal in the microwave and to heat up the wax, it has to go in the microwave. So Come somebody said, on. somebody said, this is metal. You can't put this in the microwave. And everyone just kind of like, it was like pit of your stomach, jaw drop, like no kidding. So we had all of these super lovely metallic labels ready to go on all of these jars that were ready for the market and couldn't go in the microwave. So short version of that story is nobody wants a sparking beaver. Okay, you are right. I did not see that coming. I'm waiting to like think like the label messed up, something like it didn't print right. Um, I, yeah, what an exercise in like, thinking through user experience oh yeah and and yeah. what's going to happen with it so did the labels just have to get like redone quickly on something different a new direction or did like the instructions change of like let jar sit in boiling water for a period of time or yeah we we kind of went through all of those options um instructions were also printed it yeah. could have been to just let it sit in warm water but like people want it to be speedy. So we, we yeah. did end up reproducing them and just put them on a vinyl stock and all was good after that. But somewhere there is a pile of metallic beaver sugar labels that cannot be used. That is looking for some, for when they release, you know, the, the beaver or the maple sugar, beaver sugar stuff that doesn't need to be warmed up in a microwave. Exactly. Or it's then like, yeah, encourage solar power warming or something. <laughs> Leave out in bright sun yeah. for three hours. Yes, for the off-the-grid version. 
Oh, that's a great one. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's so good. And that's, <laughs> you know, it's, and sorry, I, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't great in the moment. It, I'm sure it was like, oh my gosh. But oh, yeah. um, it's great because typically when you're looking at something like you guys were, you're very focused on how does the color look? How do the photos look? You know, the paper, like all of the physical things. But then you, for, you could potentially forget, like, how will somebody use this? And does it actually work for what they're going to use it for? That's for sure. And like there's like the easy things to think there is like, does it need to be waterproof? Is it waterproof? Yeah. Does it need to be heat proof? Like if it's going on a candle or something like that, like, like will this ignite? Like will this mm -hmm. catch on fire? And outside of that, you don't really think of too many of those things. But mm -hmm. in this case, like, yeah, it would have caught on fire. But we just didn't factor in the step of the microwave yeah or if you change the name to like sparky beaver sugar <laughs> yes like that. that can be the next one <laughs> that can be the next that. one yeah that's so good i think the question that you asked is a great question to ask for for almost everything that you're looking into just for pure safety is will this ignite yeah like just straight up yeah always ask yourself right nobody <laughs> wants to be the one that caught their client's stuff on fire <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Don't be that person. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so now I wanted to take the opportunity to deep dive into the project that we are talking about. I'll pull some images up on the screen here. Um, but if you're just listening to this, I'm going to put these images up on Instagram um, as well. And down in the podcast description, there will be links to um, pulp and paper and where you can see photos of um, this piece while you're listening along here. Um, so Heather, um, as much as we can, let's like dive into this project. Give me a little bit of the backstory of it, like what the, what the idea behind the piece was and, and how you shaped what this final printed object became and, and what everybody thought of it. Okay. Um, so this is an annual report that, um, was from the previous year. So it's for, um, a not-for-profit called Roots to Harvest, which is now called Roots Community Food Center. Um, but Roots is a nonprofit that uses food as a tool to connect people. So that happens through two different urban garden sites, um, that hires seasonal participants, um, programming that goes into the high schools or, um, another program that is in the commercial kitchen there where high school students who are, or, or students who are missing a credit to graduate high school can come and get their credit through um, cooking, essentially. And then some other kitchen programs that are geared towards newcomer women. So while it used to be really focused on youth, um, the tagline was punks growing food, and it was this like grassroots kind of like rebellious spirit. Um, the group that Roots serves has kind of expanded quite a bit in the last few years. Mm -hmm. But the, the kind of cheekiness and, and like irreverent language and like conversational dialogue and whatever has not changed. So it's always a bit off the cuff. It's always a little bit undone. Um, it still needs to feel grassroots. Nothing can be slicker corporate. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so all of the pieces that we design kind of live up to those check boxes. Mm -hmm. uh, the annual reports are, are not an exception to that. They shouldn't look corporate just because it's financials. It still kind of needs to live in the realm of like 
punks in a field. Uh, so as it does. So this is one that we produced in 2020. Uh, all of the programming and everything that normally goes on was sidelined as soon as COVID happened. Mm -hmm. So on the back side of this annual report, you can kind of see like the gray zone of like where life stopped, except that it didn't stop for Roots to Harvest or Roots CFC because all of the programming that was geared around food and whatever else and the school system stopped well school stopped and went virtual but that meant that food also stopped mm -hmm. to school and to to students and families that get home those like emergency food bags and extra snack kits and all of that stuff so roots kind of pulled together with a bunch of other um organizations in thunder bay and decided to take on all of that food um, all of the food access stuff so we needed a way with this annual report to tell all of the normal things that Roots does at any mm -hmm. given point in the year, but then also really highlight that six month chunk in the middle where everything shifted uh, and all of the all of the donor support and media and all of the stuff that came with that, which was a really big deal at the time. So this report initially was digital but we knew we would print it eventually once we could actually get it back into the hands of people. Yep. So Rizzo or Rizzo, Rizograph, um, was kind of the approach here just because it was that like tactile, undone, not slick feel that we yeah. are always kind of going for. Oftentimes with this, it's like there isn't time. There isn't a printer like that in Thunder Bay. So I work with color code, um, uh, often and and did on this um, this piece here. They printed that one, and they're in Toronto. But it kind of gave us the time to finish this presented digitally at the AGM, and then do the crazy separations and send it off to print there. Mm -hmm. So are you are you familiar with with Rezo? Is like is this your first go at it, or have you done it before? Um, I've done it before, but I don't have a big history with it. Um, I've done, I've definitely worked on more letterpress projects than mm -hmm. I have Rezo, but the separating things is very similar. Um, with the exception of you have to, or can play into the transparencies in a big way, but know that mm -hmm. the transparencies are also going to happen whether you want them to or not. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so that's just something to be aware of. Yeah. And I love the connection that you made with sort of that, like that grassroots style, you know, not slick and corporate into you know, this Rezo form and, you know, almost taking advantage of some of the natural misregistration in it um, to create this visual that not only with the colors and the misregistration, but it just all matches up with the whole vibe and feel that you're going for. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think that like in some cases it rubs off on your hands and then your fingers are dirty and that's great. Like that's exactly what we wanted. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's so good. Okay, how many of these things did you guys print? Uh, I want to say we printed about 150. So the way that they were distributed then because people were not coming to an AGM and grabbing an annual report as they normally would is we just mm -hmm. mailed them out, like wrote a thank you card, wrote to all of the people that would normally attend, the people that are listed here as funders and supporters, and wrote a message about, um, about having a printed copy in hand and wanting to get it in their hands. And I yeah. think that this is kind of something that like uh, 
people know now will be like a cooler, interesting thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the people that attend the AGM and we're happy to get it to them. Absolutely. Can you talk me through a little bit of sort of picking the specs of this because you're going to pick the paper, you know, what colors you're going to use. Um, and with Rezo, it's not like you're just building out, oh, let's just do CMYK. You know, you can, you can basically put this thing together in, in Pantones and, and unique colors, right? Yeah. Um, so how were, how were those choices made? So I thought I had a swatch book around here, but I don't. Color Code actually has a little swatch book that looks like a Pantone book, but it is all of the different Rezo colors and then what they look mm -hmm. like at different transparencies. So, oh, as, so Along cool. with the closest Pantone. So the difference the, is, though, that the Rezo inks, you can get neons, um, and there's a lot of them, and then also metallics. Awesome. So I started building this file with the four closest Pantones to what were suggested, knowing that they were going to print differently. So it's kind yeah. of like, here's a start, but you still have to use your, <clears throat> sorry, <coughs> you still have to use your imagination. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so when you, so then you're building this thing and are you creating the separations in the file as you go? Or do you no. finish the design first and then you go back to it and figure it out? Yeah, I finished the design first and then went back to it and figured it out. Um, one of the things with Rezo is that everything's transparent. So mm -hmm. when you lay, uh, like the turquoise over the green, you just get darker green because it's, it's made <laughs> of the same values or the yeah. same makeup. If you put the fluorescent orange over top of the green, then you get some like new funky color. So you can kind of lay all your colors out, overlap a bunch of circles, multiply everything, and then mm -hmm. find all the new colors that you can just kind of make happen. Um, yeah. So I designed it in that way. I did try to keep four different layers in InDesign and Illustrator um, as I was going so that I could keep track of how things were going to multiply and what I needed mm -hmm. to knock out. Once mm -hmm. the file was approved, um, I'm looking for an example here of where this will make sense. Um, so once it was approved, I went back through Illustrator to put all of the dark green, the mint, the neon, and the bright green on four separate layers, multiplied everything, and then you can see like the image you have up right now. Yeah. If I wanted the Peas, Love, and Fresh Produce sticker that's there to to read as white text, I would have had to put that on the green layer, but then also knock that shape, not the text, yep. but the outer shape out of the neon and the dark green and the mint behind it. Yep. So that that sticker, although it's not showing up as green on all the separations, there's mm -hmm. a white hole to accommodate the green. So yep. in some cases it overprints and in some cases it's knocked out. Yeah, I love what you did with that particular spot because you get not only like the gray or the screen black coming through, but you also get like a peak of like the neon coming through. And it's like, yeah, it's just, again, it's just a cool experience. Thanks. So I want to pull up this photo here um, of the separations in this. Um, so is this the, is this the green? That the is the front. Um, so I, I think I only gave you separations of the front and not the back. So the one on the okay. far right, 
yep. would be the minty aqua color. Right. Okay. I see it now. And then you can see like immediately to the left of that is the, yeah. the Kelly green. Yeah. So in some cases that Kelly green is going to print over top of things, but then you can see that I wanted the Kelly green to look Kelly green so that it had to get knocked out of the mint that's beside yeah. it. So the numbers yeah. are white on that one. And a, a simple way to kind of uh, make this like dummy proof as you're doing it or as you think you've got to the end is to um, export each layer as black, bring it into Photoshop, put it on four separate layers, and then put those Pantone colors back into the black and multiply everything because you'll see what still needs to be knocked out. Got it. And what you've missed. Yeah, that's a shortcut way because the only other way that I would that I was thinking in my head to do that would be once you've exported, you pull, open it up in like Acrobat Pro where you can go to your print separations and you're sort of like on each layer, on off, on off, on off. And you kind of go through it that way, but your way is great. Yeah. I think that works too. Um, but then you're still thinking in CMYK. Correct. Unless you actually build it with the spot colors look at it in Acrobat and then go back and take all the spot colors out. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Another kind of shortcut that I did to, to get myself kind of halfway there or three quarters of the way there was mm -hmm. outlined everything, like all the strokes, all the text, whatever, and then just did the like find similar color, like find all yeah. the things that were orange and copied that to a new layer and then deleted the one that had all of the original work on it um, nice. with a save as, of course, uh, so that I could find all of the pieces to at least get them on their own layers. Mm -hmm. But it was, this is definitely, this is excessive. Like this is not a normal uh, separation job by any means. Yeah. And now because this was sort of like printed COVID-ish timing, um, did you do any press checks? Did you do any print tests or anything? You just sort of, or did you work back and forth with the printer, just making sure your files were right on what you wanted to achieve? Uh, there, well, there's no press check because it's not here. So yeah. I'm kind of like not crossing my fingers and hoping for the best, but putting my faith in their hands and trusting that they'll tell me if they think there's an issue, which mm -hmm. they will, like they're great. Um, so it was over to color code. Uh, I sent them a PDF of the file before I started pulling it apart so they could see mm -hmm. what the intended look was supposed to be. Okay. Uh, and I just kind of said like, let me know if there's any red flags or if anything's like really off the mark here. Mm -hmm. And other than that, it's just like a surprise when I open the box at the end. <laughs> okay, so tell me a little bit about that moment when you get, the box is delivered and you're about to see it in print for the first time. Are you excited? Are you terrified? What is that moment of opening the box like? Um, I think there's always a little bit of that, like flipping through the Winnipeg free press feeling of like anxious excitement mm -hmm. and terror. Uh, but excitement on the, on the forefront, I think, or, or the most, I should say. Yeah. Mostly yeah. excited. Just Mo a little bit, a little bit scared. Yeah, hint of hint of um, dread, <laughs> most mostly excitement. <laughs> <laughs> so when you get this thing and it's all printed and done, and, and the customers looking over it, 
was this the first time that you had done a annual report document for them like this in this style with with rezo printing in this way first rezo thing for sure yes okay um, for roots to harvest other annual reports uh like we've done little mini passports we've done like a thing that folds out into a giant poster mm-hmm. um this year it kind of fit into a little sleeve um that had like the thumb notch at the top so we always try and do something kind of cool or different but mm-hmm. Roots is um, amazing. Like the, if you, they just want to trust the person that's coming to do the job. So yeah. if you say, this yeah. is what we should do, it'll be awesome. Then they're like, yeah, okay, it'll be awesome. Let's do it. <laughs> there isn't a Let's lot go. of, yeah, there isn't a lot of back and forth and convincing and, and whatever. Like the extreme example of that is when Roots to Harvest became Roots CFC we did a video and it was like there wasn't a lot of time and there wasn't a huge budget and mm-hmm. animation was mentioned, but like that is time and money. So yeah. it mm-hmm. immediately rolled out. So the thing that we came back with, um, Westport Productions, the, the video guys that I work with often was we could do this really cool little thing with cut paper, like almost like dioramas, almost like stop motion. We could green screen some real people in it. We couldn't find any examples of what we were talking about. So Mm -hmm. I made a little test with like a sprout that came up through the bottom of a piece of cardboard. And we're like, okay, yeah, we could do this. This will be easy. And we told (laughs) um, Roots that that's what we wanted to do. And they were like, okay, well, yeah, if you guys think it'll be cool. And it was like, that was the tip of the iceberg. It was so hard and so time consuming. It turned out really cool. Um, but we did not really know what we were diving into when we started. Yeah. But they're just trusting, like they're awesome. That's so good. So what was their, what was their feedback on this piece? What's been the feedback from the donors who are receiving this piece? I think the overall, um, perception is just that like, it makes you feel like you want to be a part of it and it makes you feel like you are a part of it. It's Mm -hmm. really like... I I don't know if you got into reading any of the text, even the 2020 was a year. Um, It feels... Yeah, I scanned through that and then I saw the speaking moistly badge. Right. That was really fun. (laughs) And then you got distracted. (laughs) Um, It's all just kind of like a warm hug, but like in a a normal way. Um, I think that the stuff that we produce for Roots and the way that it's written and the vibe that it has just makes people want to be a part of it. I love this line. We got tired of the words adjust and pivot and unprecedented. Yeah, I think we all did. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. In 100%. the, this was a piece that I had entered into the, um, so good awards from mm-hmm. with RGD. And I don't, I, Oh, it does say judges pick on there. I didn't give you the, uh, the screen grab of the actual annual, but there's a quote from, one of the judges and it's a long thing and whatever. And at some point he describes the whole piece and like the vibe of Roots to Harvest as heartfelt and hearty. And like that couldn't be summed up better. That is such a great way to describe it. And yeah, that was going to be my next question is that what was your, you know, did you expect to get this kind of sort of attention and awards and recognition for, for this piece when you were putting it together? Did you know that this was going to be a banger or did you just thought it was like a pretty cool piece? 
Uh, no, I, like, I don't think you ever expect for anything to be like that. Like, it, it's cool if it is, but like, that's not the intention. Like the intention mm -hmm. is to communicate all of the things in this piece. Yeah. Um, but when you compare it to other annual reports, it's very different. So it definitely stands apart from like the typical annual report that, that you would pick up if you went to a, a standard not-for-profit or corporation. Yeah, and recently I've been very interested in annual reports and, you know, you've seen the basic generic ones, but I've connected with a number of designers for interviews as well who have done something that's unique and different um, in creating these annual reports. And this is incredibly different and incredibly unique. Um, and did you guys go Rezo for the one for 2021 that you've already done? Uh, no, that was all digital. Okay, I'll just yeah. on that it one. It was like a, it was done days before it was needed kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, the timing was tight to say yeah. the least. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So from the first idea of this project and, and like, hey, let's let's do it, Rizzo. Let's go this way. Um, how long did it take to actually get like printed and into your hands? Um, that's a good question because it was kind of too big separate chunks like writing and designing the annual report with Aaron from Roots was one whole thing we presented it digitally and then taking that finished file figuring out the Rezo side doing separations and getting it to print probably was an equal amount of time like I would say it was like three to four weeks to produce it and then another like three to four weeks to figure out how to actually like print the damn thing and <laughs> uh and then get it shipped back from Toronto yeah, for sure. Yeah. And what uh, what paper did you end up using for this thing? Um, th so they have a couple of different papers that are just in house, and it's kind of okay. like, do you what weight do you want? Do you want white or off white, or like do you want some <laughs> wild color? So yeah. it's not quite the same as like the offset world, uh, yeah. which I kind of like about it. Like I could get into paper like as much as the next guy, and like would love to like rifle through paper samples with you. But as soon as it's on the Rezo side, it's like, do you want this one or this one? Do you want it to be yeah. colored or not colored? Um, yeah. And there might be shops out there that have a more sophisticated process, but I like that it's just like, do you want white or creamy? Yeah. <laughs> white or creamy. Yeah. So <laughs> I think in this case it. we picked off-white uh, so that it was a little bit more kind of natural feeling and yeah. less mm -hmm. punchy. Um, yeah. But I would highly awesome. recommend um, uh, their workshop. They have a little workshop that you can do. It's like an evening. Um, and they'll walk through how to do the separations, how to um, how to separate things in Illustrator versus Photoshop for people that are not so versed in Illustrator. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I think you get like 25 prints or something as part of your workshop fee. And they exchange cool. with the other people that were in the workshop as well. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. I'll put a link um, to Color Code down in the description of this podcast for anybody who's listening and wondering, hey, who are these guys who actually put this thing together? So I'll make sure that I link to them as well. Cool. So Heather, you've dabbled in quite a bit of print design, it sounds like. What advice would you have for a graphic designer who wants to get into print, wants to create some of these tangible, cool experiences, but just doesn't know where to get started? Like, where should they start? Um, I think that 
when you're doing these like cool printed things, the, mm -hmm. the intention is for the end user to hold it in their hand. So you also need to hold it in your hand, like every step of the way. And so many times I will start with like a fully blank mock-up, like dummy. Like I know I'm going to make a little booklet. How does the booklet feel if it's this size? Maybe it should be a little bit bigger, like white pages. And then how many pages does it need to be? And then you can kind of start to piece together like it would be cool if this or if there was a short fold and it was here, then like how much of the page behind it do you see? And what happens when you start like putting different paper stocks in there? And you can make, oh, you can make the whole thing come to life before you design anything. And I think the more print experience that you have, the more you can kind of like make the leap of like what it looks like from the end file to the printed piece. But mm -hmm. there's this like gray zone of like, finished PDF to like off the press yeah, and it can just be a direct shot, like send it to print, but there's all this stuff that can happen in between, but you need to use your imagination to figure out what, what would be cool or like, what does this call for? And the more print experience you have, the sooner you can kind of have those thoughts when you're designing things. And I probably have, this is a, little thing that I have a little mock-up here. So this is going to be a piece that will have white ink on the front and like there's scribbles in it. Yeah. But it will give me, like I've already made changes after I folded these pieces of paper together and like the size of the postcard needs to be different because when I lay it on the front, I want to be able to read X text or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. think that like making mock-ups then I'll go design this. I'll print it out again. All of those pieces help kind of really get you to the best end result when you 100%. hold it all the way along. A hundred percent. And with print being, you know, it's, it, you're creating something tactile. So for it to be 100% digital all the way up to the point of delivery of the project, there's so much opportunity in between there to to really refine it and craft that handheld experience or that shelf experience or whatever that is for what you're creating. And, you know, it's great for you as a designer to do that. But if you're creating something for your client and they have way less print experience than you have, they are going to want something tangible. It feels like this. It, um, you know, is this thick. The paper texture is like this. This is how it'll feel on the shelf or whatever, right? You need to use those tactile tools and creating those mock-ups and things like that to really help bring your project and your ideas to life in print with your customer, even before you send the files in. Totally. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you absolutely nailed it too, by saying that the more print you do, the more, um, more of a, an understanding you'll have of how this digital thing will turn out when it's actually printed. Yeah. I think the other, like the second piece of advice that I would say is like, make friends with your printer. Yes. And mm -hmm. have a relationship and like bring in the whatever, like soapbox that you found that you like the texture of. So you can say like, what is this? Or yes. how do we do this? Or what happens when I try X? Because they'll know 
so many more things than, than you could imagine, or like be able Mm -hmm. to rifle through a bunch of paper stocks and give you exactly what you're looking for, or tell you that one type of paper will achieve it and the other won't, or things that you don't know until you try. Yeah. I call it healthy hoarding where you just kind of collect a bunch of cool samples and swatch books and packaging examples and all kinds of things. I have piles of cool print behind the other side of this computer um, just to hang on to for inspiration, for ideas, for, um, you know, just jumping off points for when you're actually creating some, some print. Totally. Yeah. I do, I do the same thing. I've got heaps of stuff everywhere, new stuff and old stuff, old, anything old and printed. Like if I go into a thrift store or like a, an antique shop mm-hmm. or whatever. It's not the objects. It's like, where are the brochures? Show me the yes. maps. Yes. Yes. The old print, the old maps, the old books, all those kind of experiences. I'm yeah. exactly the same. Yeah. Where, where's that print? I forget the, the clothes or forget the, all the little cups and plates and things like that. Nah, nah. Where's the boxes? Where's the print? Yeah. Where's yeah. the like old Show me the packaging? paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Show me the paper. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Heather, that's the last question that I have for you um, about this project and about print design for this interview. But I wanted to um, just give you an opportunity and ask, where can people find more about you, the work you're putting out there, and where can they find you on social media? Uh, You can find my site at pulpcreative.ca. You can find me on Instagram at pulpandpapercreative. That's pretty much it. I mean, there's TikTok, but like you'll find it, but lower your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Lower your expectations. <laughs> it's not really happening. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. Well, you let it go. Um, Heather, thank you so much again for being my guest on the show today. Thank you. It was lots of fun. So there you have it. That is the end of today's episode. A great conversation about Rizograph, something I'd, I just want to continue learning more about. I want to start printing some Rizzo stuff or Rizzo, Rizzo, you know what I'm saying. Uh, I want to just start creating stuff in that Rizzo world because I just think it's so cool and so unique. Yeah, that's it. So if you're a graphic designer ready to start learning about print and packaging design and how to create these brilliant, tangible objects out in the world that go out there and win awards or you can brag to your friends about the great packaging you created, um, you'll be the envy of your design colleagues for this awesome book you created, head over to printdesignacademy.com or just click the link down in the description of this episode and check out Print Design Mastery where we are teaching graphic designers to be experts in print design. Or if you're not ready for that, we have a free download at printdesignacademy.com as well. So head over there. It is the Print Ready Files Checklist. Having Print Ready Files is like the first step to being able to create incredible print and packaging. So download that uh, Print Ready Files Checklist. It's super easy for you to just sort of check through the things um, that you need to check off and make sure are correct before you send that file in for print. You can find that at printdesignacademy.com. There's also a link down in the description of this podcast for you to find that. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.